before we do that, can we turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13, finishing up the end of uh, chapter 13, with a sermon entitled, Hope for the Sleepy Saint. High time to wake up, Paul the Apostle says, and we're working on that. So, uh, Sadie, our dog, just turned three years old this past week, and uh, of course, my wife <laughs> dresses her up with a bow tie and a big hat, poor dog, and but you go, well, so what did Sadie do for her third birthday? Well, Sadie has slept pretty much the whole day. She, uh, if she's not fetching a ball, if she's not doing the downward dog and stretching, she's basically sleeping. And this sermon is for people who are spiritually sleeping. Paul has this stiff rebuke. He's done this 12 chapters, 13, 12 and a half chapters of all that God has done for the Roman church and, and our response. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. Now, uh, when Jesus was sharing on the end times, Jesus was talking about, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is what to look for. And he said this amazing thing in, in uh, Luke. Um, it's in Luke. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Here's a warning that Jesus, you don't want to be found sleeping when Jesus returns for his bride. And then he finishes this, uh, I'm sorry, this is Mark 13. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So this morning, are you watching? This is, uh, this is what's really going to happen. Some, oh, there it is. Watch this. See that? That's like in, in, John, in, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 19. Paul, or, man, alive, I'm getting everybody mixed up here today. John, the apostle, was writing in, in Revelation 19. And he said, now I saw, verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. So here he is, he's like on the outside. So let's kind of picture this and walk through it, being on the outside of heaven. And, and he's saying, and I saw it open up. So I don't know, you're seeing this huge gates or something, like what? And all of, yeah, everybody's on the inside, and then it opens up, and John's kind of on the outside looking like, what is happening? What's going on? And then he said, then I saw this white horse. And him who on it, he, he, well, let me just read it. He said, so I, I, uh, I saw a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. We know this Jesus Christ. And he, 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 uh, in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire going right through you. On his head were many crowns. He had written a name that no one, had, uh, uh, no one knew except him. And he was clothed with a white robe and dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. We know that to be Jesus again. So here's what happens. It says, and the, and the armies of God. Now, how do you picture that? The armies of God are on white horses. So here he's on, he's on the outside going, whoa, look at these gates opening up. And look at that horse. Look at the rider on that horse. It's Jesus Christ. And now it's as if he's walking inside. And he passes Jesus, and he looks around, and he sees, look at all these people. There are so many people. And it says that they're riding. This is us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, riding white horses, you might say, horses freak me out. They won't. This ride 
tops anything Disneyland offers, okay? This ride is going from heaven, flying horses down to earth, and you're going to laugh. You go, that's never happened before. That's what they said to Noah when he's building an ark for a flood. So here it is. He's, <clears throat> he's referring to in Jude. Jude only has one chapter. So in Jude verses 14 and 15, he says this. He's quoting from Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So we're going back in time like 6,000 years, maybe 5,000 years. And Enoch said this. He prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, like a gazillion. And this is that picture in heaven. Like, oh, look at all the white horses. Look at all the saints who are on those horses. And they come, <clears throat> we come with Christ to exercise, execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them. Convict them of their ungodly deeds, which they've committed in an ungodly way. So this is really going to happen. And Revelation 19 goes on to say, boom, down goes the Antichrist. He's thrown alive into the lake of fire for an ever, ever, and ever. Then down goes the false prophet who also gets thrown alive into the lake of fire. You're going to watch this. You're going to, what? That's hell? That's, that's the lake of fire? And he just went in there forever, times forever? It's over? He's going to live in torment the rest? Yep. And then Satan will be bound for a thousand years, a literal 1,000 years, during which time Christ, with us, will set up his 1,000-year or millennial reign, a literal reign here on earth, restoring to earth back to what he wanted from the beginning. And at the end of that, Satan's released. We have the final war. And then a new heavens and a new earth. But it says in Romans 13, what we're about to read, it's so close. It's closer now than we've ever been. All right? So with that, let's stand and do a, um, uh, what do we call it, congregational reading. Hey, can we have some fans on? This is going to be hot. Okay, any men? One guy says amen. His wife goes, why? All right, so I'm going to read the, the odd verses. You can read the even ones. I'm reading, it's on the, for, on the uh, overhead. This is the New King James Bible, the one I like to use the best. And do this. So he doesn't say memorize this, doesn't say think about it. He says do this. Knowing the time. That now is high time to awake out of sleep. Do you know some people need a serious wake-up call? That's what he's saying. It's high time to wake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And you read, the night. Therefore. Good job. Verse 13, let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness, which is the worst description of sinful behavior, parading it, not in lust, not in strife and envy, and finally, let's pray. Lord, we've had so many distractions this morning. We believe you have a word for us. We, we believe this is uh, it's serious. 
It's a loving stir. It's more than a reminder. It's a battle cry. Lord, keep us focused. We want hearts of uh, compassion, of devotion. We want A-plus minds. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please have a seat, and I'm going to ask you this question. How do you wake up sleepy people? What works for you? In college, we had this thing where I had, remember, one of my roommates was six foot eight, big V chest. He turned down a full football scholarship to the University of Virginia to go surfing in Florida with me. His mother hated me. But so there are times when all four of us would have the same class at Daytona Beach Community College back then. We had our 10 speed bikes and we'd get up and ride to class at eight in the morning. So there are some mornings that sleepyhead didn't want to get out of bed. So what we came up with was a ice cold, wet washcloth. And you dip in ice water and you fling it Frisbee style and it would perfectly land on him. Now, you don't want to get a six foot eight roommate mad at you too many times, but it would be like, get up, get up, and then you throw that, and I'm not kidding, up in bed, you're just, and it only took once. So the next time sleepyhead wouldn't get out of bed, do I need to get the wet? Well, no, I'm good, I'm good, because it just woke you up so suddenly. Maybe you're the kind that like to hit the snooze alarm. Now, Karen and I had a roommate at one time. Far be it from me to name names. But she was supposed to get up at seven, set the alarm for six, and then every 10 minutes hit the snooze alarm for an hour. We're out there listening, like finally we go, hey, uh, why don't you just set it for a seven and wake up? Oh, I couldn't wake up like that. <laughs> Try it, try it. But you know, some people, some Christians are hitting a snooze alarm. Yeah, yeah, Lord, I hear you. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be right there. And then they fall back asleep. No more snooze alarm here. You picture Mount Ka'ala as going off in lava. And the lava spilling over and pouring out to Wailua and Haleiwa. And you're waking up your loved ones. Get up. It's here. we got to run. That's the idea here. That's the, the kind of concern and the urgency. And he says, because the night is far spent there in verse 11. So look at a few Ps, if you will. The public school system. And, and I have here, oh, it's not there. Uh, sorry. I have here, um, subscribe to Tony Perkins. Um, we did a cruise with him a couple of years ago. Family Research Council, Family Research, Tony Perkins, maybe you hear him on the radio, I get an email from these guys every day. Oh, there it is. There it was. <laughs> Got to be quick. But he says, you know one good thing about the uh, distance learning for COVID? Parents were forced to see what their kids are exposed to um, in public schools. I'm not saying every public school is, is as evil as the next one, but some of the stuff they're teaching our kids is horrific. It's just crazy. So get their stuff and you realize what's going on. You know, like one, one kid comes home, Mommy, am I going to turn into a boy? Because they're learning this. Boy, you might be a girl, you might be a boy. 
And she's freaking out, like, oh, I want to be a girl. I don't want to be a boy. And so they're, they're being exposed to stuff that shouldn't be happening. Then there's the second P is the pronouns. I shared on this a couple weeks ago that the pronoun is where you say, hi, I'm Mike. What are your pronouns? Meaning, are you a he, she person or a they, them person? Maybe this is news to you. Maybe it's old school. Two weeks ago, I mentioned it. And up comes two doctors from Indiana. They said it's already happening in Indiana that on their tags, it says Dr. Robert, pronouns, he, she. He said, no, don't put pronouns by mine. I'm a guy. I know I'm a guy. You should know I'm a guy. So it's like already they're being kind of persuaded into this little box of, no, we want you to pretend maybe you're not a guy. So such people who are into this, when they have a baby, they're called babies. Read about this. It's crazy. Babies. So what they're saying is the parents go, well, she doesn't know if she's a girl or a boy. So in a few years, we're going to let her determine what gender she is. Or he doesn't know he's a little boy, you know, so we'll give him a few years. But in the meantime, we're calling them babies. How's your baby? So what this is, I, I saw, Karen and I were watching the show on this. And one of the guys on it was brilliant. And he's battling these people with the babies stuff. And he said this, look, you're going to die. And in 100 years, they can dig up your bones. They will not know what you're thinking. They will know your gender because the DNA is all throughout your body. The DNA is in your bones. You're either a girl or a boy. And so it's, it's more than just, oh, I'm going to choose my gender. Now, here's my concern. It says in, in um, Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. We're seeing that all around us. People who are, are projecting this stuff on us, they're saying, oh, we're so wise. We're such free thinkers. Well, the Bible calls you fools. This is foolish stuff. My concern is, are we going to be arrested for hate crimes for a sermon like this? For a sermon to say, no, 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 there's no such thing as they, the, but it's boy, girl. And will that be a hate crime? I believe it will be considered that in the not-too-distant future. But you're going to hear the same thing over this pulpit. I pray we'll hear the same thing throughout this church as we're salt and light. Now, so we talked about the public schools. We talked about the pronouns. Third is the problems. Maybe you've heard about this abortion by mail. Now, that's not what it sounds like. It says it, what it is is you can send away for a pill, an abortion pill, and get it in the mail and take it. The big concern is you have to make sure you're pregnant, girls, before you take it. The only sure way to tell is having the, um, I knew I'd forget what it's called. The, what is it? Ultrasound. Thank you. A guy knew the answer. So, yeah, the only way, so here's the deal. Okay, here's the pill, but before you take it, you have to make sure you're pregnant. You need an ultrasound. Who can afford that? You don't think people are going to cheat on that? Say, yeah, 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 I, I know I'm pregnant. And take this pill out of convenience to conveniently end the life so they can get on with theirs, this could be fatal for some people. Another one is persecution. Maybe you've heard this stat that today in our, in our 21st century, 
some 16 Christians are persecuted and killed on a daily basis. This is the world we live in. And he's saying, I want you to know this, be aware of the end times here. So last Wednesday, a few of us went to see Amar, Amir, I'm sorry, and I know I'd forget, Sofati. He's an Israeli Christian. He was born in Israel, fought in their army and stuff. He was actually the mayor of Jericho. How cool is that? And there's a Christian, fascinating speaker, so we went to hear him this past week, and he shared on these five indications or indicators of a kingdom about to fall. See if you realize where America is. Because right now, America is basically the last superpower. After us, it's going to be China looks like they're ready to rise up. You know, Russia's doing some things over there, getting crazy. But here's the first one, increased sexual immorality. You could say, well, it started with the Roaring Twenties. That was nothing compared to the hippies, the free love of the late 60s, early 70s. Then you talk about, well, you got to factor in the pornography. Because the hippies, that wasn't even around, other than magazines. And now it's so prolific. And then you go into the LGBTQ+, and you go, I think we see an increase in sexual immorality. Second thing to look for is undermining the family structure. So I love groups like, the, I love the name Black Lives Matter. All right, the name, to me, it makes sense. I'm, all lives matter. White lives, yellow lives, red. We all matter. But the thing is, remember this came prolific when one guy was killed by a cop who had his knee on his neck. It was a George, George Floyd. And so back, Black Lives Matter were everywhere. And it sounds so good until you check out their video where the two black girls are going, uh, we're Marxists, we're communists. And then they go on to say they're against the family structure. They are pro-abortion and they're pro-LGBTQ+. Like, this, is, this is crazy. So they're undermining the family structure. Going back to what's being taught in our schools today, uh, we've actually had kids, this will go back to Tony Perkins stuff, kids who come home and they say, you know, my teacher was teaching this about sex and they said, don't tell your mommy or daddy we're talking about this. What? That's undermining the family structure. To me, if a teacher says, don't tell your mom or your daddy, teacher gets fired. That's saying that we know more than your mom and dad. No, <laughs> not necessarily. Then there's uncontrollable immigration, which is the third point. As I shared before, some two million people have crossed our southern border recently. Two million with the right to vote and get welfare and all that. They're, just, they're not just Mexicans. We know there's terrorists coming in from the Middle East. We know there's drug cartel. We know there's sex traffickers. And God knows what else is out there. But it's this uncontrolled immigration. Fourth is reckless living. When you have a nation printing trillions of dollars that there's no money and no gold to back up. Trillions. That's called reckless. It, you're not, you'll never pay it off. Your kids will never, I don't know, great, great, great grandkids. It's not going to get paid off. It's been reckless. The final one is a lack of personal responsibility. We have raised a society of narcissistic believers, narcissistic people. 
It means it's all about me. I, I view the whole world uh, about me, and I don't take responsibility for what just happened. And just, he said, these are the five things to look for. So then he goes, again, the day is at hand. No, the night is far spent. That wasn't good news. The day is at hand. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies his first time around. If you like to witness like I do, one of the greatest things, well, I don't like Jesus. Oh, really? Well, one way to talk is, hey, of the 300 prophecies he's fulfilled, which one are you struggling with? What do you mean? Well, the 30 pieces of silver, you know, died between two, two transgressors. Not a bone of his body was broken on the cross. Uh, which one? They did? Born in Bethlehem, ran to Egypt, raised in Nazareth. Which one bothers you because he fulfilled all of them pinpointedly? And by doing that, he's, the rest of his prophecies will also be fulfilled. So in Luke 21, I have Luke 21 up there, but really it can be Matthew 24 or Mark 13 or Luke 21. They all cover the same sermon where Jesus told us what to look for in these end times. He said, don't be deceived, number one. A lot of deception going on in the last days. A lot of deception. It's deception like that's not sin anymore. Don't be deceived. He said, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Now, it's very interesting. Any war in the Bible that's specifically called out, it involves Israel. The other wars, like a world war, falls under the wars and rumors of war. But if you look at it, when Russia's going to come down and attack Israel and all these surrounding nations, it's all to do with Israel. The people who are into that replacement theology, who believe that the church has replaced Israel, they have a hard time with this because it's all about Israel in the end. Now, having said that, you're wondering, what's going on today in Russia where Putin is pulling some, some weird stuff? And is this attack going to, you know, for the Ukraine, is that going to affect us? Again, it doesn't involve Israel yet. But it could be a precursor that eventually we know Israel, God's going to put a hook in their jaw and pull them down to Israel. We know they will attack, maybe not for years, maybe soon. But what, what gets me is when I'm studying all this and I'm trying to put it all together, I mean, I've been an into end times for like 50 years, okay? I know I'm old. The thing is, when I'm looking at Russia and the stuff they're doing and realizing that could be the domino effect that eventually happens, am I ready? It just got like... I know I've talked about the rapture so many times where Jesus Christ comes back for his loved ones. He's only coming back for those who love him. And he comes back, am I ready for that? That's just so fascinating to me. So Jesus said, look, when these things begin to happen, the deception, the wars and rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, all that stuff, when it begins to happen, men's hearts failing them out of the fear that's coming upon the world. When these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near, meaning the Lord will be coming back for his church, for his bride, if you will. So I ask this in all seriousness. 
if Jesus had returned last night, were you ready? Or would you have showed up in church this morning and said, so what, where is everybody? How come the doors are locked? If he had returned last night, because I got to believe that someone, either in this room or on this video, listening on, online, you weren't ready. You weren't ready. Paul in Romans 13 says, wake up. Wake up while you still have time. So he says, therefore, cast off. Now, <laughs> of all the sights, sounds, and smells of high school, one stench remains. Anybody remember what was the worst smell in high school? What did you say? The boys' bathroom? You're a girl. How would you know that? <laughs> you were a teacher. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anybody want to top that answer? What's that? The morning breeze. Oh, the, oh, the stink bombs. Do you guys have that? How stupid was that? This little plastic vial that somebody would break and it stunk the whole class. And the teacher, let's get out of here. In ninth grade, some genius in my class broke a stink bomb and the teacher goes, close the windows, lock the door, we're staying in. No more stink bombs the rest of high school. Nothing. We were cured. What was the worst smell? Where's Bob King? He would know. I think he's not here today. Wrestling room. The wrestling room. You'd walk in and you'd gag. It was so bad. It was stale sweat, which is much worse than fresh sweat. It was just like, oh, it was disgusting. And this, oh, yeah, go in there and rest. No. What's weird is soon after you're in there, you didn't smell it anymore. You were one with the smell. And then he goes, what's the worst smell? That wrestling room. It was so bad. So he says, take it off. Nobody went to the next class. Okay, what's my next sixth grade, sixth class? I got English. <laughs> you're a stink bomb at that point. Take it off. That's the picture here. Take off those wrestling clothes. Put on new clothes. Take off those things of your past. Take off those things that we just discussed and put on Christ so that you have this, you can walk in newness. And he says, by the way, make no provision for your flesh. That's our problem. I'm 68. I'm still waiting for things to get easier. Years ago, I had this hero called Alan Redpath. He wrote 10 books. I read them all. I actually corresponded with him. I met him at a conference. It was just him and Pastor Chuck Smith, only two speakers. A unbelievable conference. And at that conference, Alan Redpath was uh, 72, which was light years beyond any of the young guys, young Calvary guys. And he goes up in one of the teachings, he said, you know, I know you young guys keep saying it's going to get easier, it's going to get easier. He goes, I'm 72, man, I'm still waiting for it to get easier. It's hard. And sometimes we make it hard on ourselves because we make provision for the flesh. It's like, don't fast in front of an open refrigerator. Who does that? Oh my goodness, look at that 
ice cream. Look at that fudge cake. Look at this. Just don't do that. Don't set yourself up for a fall. If you ask, ask somebody, okay, I know you're being tempted. What's your battle plan? What's your battle plan? How are you not making provision for the flesh? Who are you accountable to? Stuff like that. Now, for some people here, you're going, well, it's too late. I've already crossed the line. Now, here's where our experience in God comes in. Uh, my wife and I have done this several times, but we're doing it. It's like all new this time. It's so great. By the way, it's not too late to join. Just get in there and experience God with us. It's such a great study. The guy who wrote it has been in this church before. He, he shared here. And great guy. So Moses, one of the first, in chapter 1. In, in Psalm 90, verse 10, it's a psalm that Moses wrote, by the way. And in the psalm, he says, you know, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80, he's just going, you know, generally speaking, guys, you can live to be about 70. Now, if you're 71, you can go, uh-oh. <laughs> but the thing is, it's but maybe you're strong. You live to be 80 years old. So how old was Moses? God called him. He was 80 years old. So when Moses thinking, he goes, I'm ready to retire permanently. I'm ready to kick the bucket. I'm ready to die. And God says, I'm ready to use you. Maybe you've heard this before. Moses lived to be 120. The first 40 years, he was somebody in Egypt. He was like top dog. He was something special. And history tells us that he had the best education. He was quite the warrior, quite the leader. First 40 years of Moses' life, he was learning to be somebody. Second, then he killed the guy, ran for his life. Remember, got married. He's out in the desert for 40 years, learning to be nobody. At the end of that, he's now 80. He goes, okay, I'm ready to die. And God says, I'm now calling. Because when you're at the end of your rope, I'm calling you. And so he went from learning to be somebody, learning to be nobody, to finally learning that God can use anybody. So if you're here and you're going, I think I've blown it. I think I've crossed the line. It's just, it's over for me. It's for other people. No, it's not. What if God wants to use you as a trophy of grace? I was talking to somebody yesterday. We we're looking at the ocean going, you ever wonder if God's saying, I want to make you a trophy of grace? And like, and what, what if he says to the angels, watch this. Watch what I do in her life. Watch what I do in his life. Watch this. You'll, you won't see it coming. And so what if you're the next one? You go, oh, I think I crossed the line. You want to be a trophy of grace? Because that's what God is into. And so God called him at that point. So what if you're going, oh, okay, I'll come to God, but I have a plan. I have a vision of what God can do. And so let's go back. Let's pretend we're, we're Noah. And, and what if Noah said, hey, God, I have a vision. This used to be a doctrine years ago. It was so stupid. I just couldn't believe people bought it. God, I have this vision. I have a vision. And here's Noah. We're pretending. I'm going to build you a shopping center. <laughs> How cool. You know, we're going to have things for little kids. We'll have grocery stores. We'll have playgrounds. And I'll give you 10%. Would you bless my vision? This is what I want you to do in my life. And God says, you know, that's really cute. 
but I'm going to destroy the world with a flood, you might want to get on board. You see the difference? See, with experiencing God, what we're learning is, oh, I want to figure out what God's doing and get on that side. Now, here's the final thing. We're gonna, this will lead into communion. When he says put on Christ, remember the wrestling room? Take off the old, get, off the, get those wrestling clothes off, put on Jesus Christ. You need to know who you are in Christ. I need to know who I am. And never forget it. You're an ambassador. An ambassador in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, it says that, that we're ambassadors. Now, here's the thing about an ambassador. An amb to this day, a real ambassador carries part of their country with them wherever they go. So if you're walking on an ambassador, there's this circumference around that person that, so if I'm an ambassador from Italy, I'm carrying part of Italy with me wherever I go. You come up to me, you're on Italy ground. Ambassador for Christ? Are you following this? How crazy is this? You carry a little bit of heaven wherever you go. I think that's the coolest thing. Hey, just hug me. You're in heavenly ground. You're on foreign soil because I represent the king of kings. Another thing about the ambassador, I don't share my own opinion. I'm not here to say, wait, you ask me, well, what do you think about this or that? I, can I quote a scripture? Because I'm here to faithfully represent my king of a foreign, and believe me, today, heaven is a very foreign country compared to America. So when people ask for my opinion, I never give up. Who cares about my opinion? I want to give them a scripture. Because as an ambassador, I want to faithfully share God's opinion. And finally, oh, is this not good? As an ambassador, before a country goes to war, it calls home its ambassadors. You see, God is about to pour out wrath upon this world. The seven-year great tribulation is a seven-year time of wrath. So before God does that, he's going to call his ambassadors home. That's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. It's the only one to me that makes sense with the whole picture. And I am ready to be called home. So this is what it says. Second Corinthians. We're ambassadors for Christ. And it says if God were pleading through us, we implore you on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God. When's the last time you implored somebody? When's the last time it got uncomfortable when they're going, dude, you're making this sound serious. It's eternally long serious. And he's saying, I, I'd get on my knees if I had to. I'd get on my face. I'm imploring you, get right with God. To be reconciled is, well, you're at odds with God. He's, he's trying to reach out to you. It's time for you to turn around and be reconciled to him. For he, God the Father, made God the Son who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's called the exchange that happens on the cross. I'm full of sin, so are you. We're kind of like a big piece of Velcro, right? And we pick up lint and stuff all our lives and just, we're sin. The Velcro would be the sin and we gotta 
I, I'm going to give that to you, Christ. And in exchange, as sacrilegious as this sounds, he makes me just as righteous as Jesus Christ. All right, that's holy ground, man. If you have given him your sin, the exchange at the cross, he makes you just as righteous as Christ. And you go, oh, that sounds blasphemous. Anything less, you don't go to heaven. When's the last time you told someone, I, I shared this yesterday with a guy, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you don't even see the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever told someone, do you care enough to cross those boundaries? Oh, I know it's not being politically correct. It's being spiritually correct. It's being biblically correct. You must be born again, Jesus said, to even see the kingdom of heaven. And hopefully they go, what does that mean? It means there's a time in your life where you give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. There's a time in your life when you realize you're so convicted of sin and you can't do anything about it that you give it to Christ. You invite him into your heart. He makes all things new as he cleanses you from the inside out. Ever done that? So the day is at hand. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies, more than 300 already. And he says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Last thing. If Jesus came last night, would you have been ready? Is there something you're holding on to that's blocking you from him? You know, there's time, sometimes I share with people, and uh, I know this guy's ready. And I'll just say, hey, so what's keeping you back? I don't get it. Just, what's holding you back from accepting him right now? And sometimes they'll say, well, it's my girlfriend, it's my boyfriend. It's this drug deal I got going. But other times they go, there's nothing holding me back. I'm ready right now.